Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The podcast is about to begin. Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to part two of episode 76 of the Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. I'm your host, Tina Romero Jr., a.k.a. the Graveyard Grumbler. Today, part two is the JFK conspiracy. We are continuing with that today, like I promised. Although, you know what? Let's just not wait any time. Let's get into it. So I left off right at death conspiracy of the JFK, the whole JFK shit. So let's just continue. Death conspiracy, the assassination of John F. Kennedy on November 22nd, 1963, and the subsequent murder of prime suspect Lee Harvey Oswald by nightclub owner Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby have spurred numerous conspiracy theories. These include alleged involvements of the CIA, the Mafia, Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson, Cuban Prime Minister Fidel Castro, the KGB, or some combination of these en- these entities. So it's no secret that it is very su- it's very suspicious that that the president was was murdered was was assassinated in Dallas. And there's a whole bunch of things that 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 revolve around what he drove, the route he took, why he took it that way, and on whose recommendation it was. It, it was suggested, and that I mean, the, the more you the more you look into it, the more you think of it, the worse it gets as far as what, the reason why he was killed. I mean, Lee Harvey Oswald is the number one prime suspect. He was actually going to be convicted. However, he was killed at the at the Dallas police station in front of cops by the nightclub owner uh, Ruby. Was it John Ruby or Jack Ruby? Jack Ruby. So. It's just too much. It's too many coincidences, and not too much, but it's too much eyebrow raising in order for me to believe that Lee Harvey Oswald was the only one to do it. And once you start looking at the, all the evidence, you start hearing everything and everything that's going on, then you'll understand what I'm talking about. So let's keep going. The original FBI investigation Warren Commission report, as well as an alleged benign CIA cover-up, had led the claim had led to the claim that the federal government deliberately covered up crucial information. In the, af- in the aftermath of the assassination. Former Los Angeles District Attorney Vincent Buglosi estimated that a total of 42 groups, 82 assassins, and 214 people had been accused at one time or another in various conspiracy scenarios. See, well, the crazy thing is, is that not even, not even the fellow government or other people who are involved in that area believe that uh, Lee, that uh, Harvey Oswald it, was the only one that did it, and the, the only one that to do it alone, that there are other entities involved in this thing as well. There's, there's just too many inconsistencies in order for us to believe that shit. In 1964, the Warren Commission concluded that Oswald was the only person responsible for assassinating Kennedy. In 1979, the United States House Select Committee on, Assassin, on Assassinations concluded that Kennedy was probably assassinated as a result of a conspiracy this was the select. This was by the United States House Select Committee Committee, committee on Assassinations. Even even the own even their own committee concluded that Kennedy was more than likely assassinated as a result of of a conspiracy. If that doesn't raise any more eyebrows, then uh, I don't I don't know what you're doing with your conspiracy life. <laughs> the HSCA concluded that a second gunman besides Oswald probably also fired at Kennedy based on acoustic evidence that was later discredited. In 1998, the JFK Assassination Records Review Board unearthed inconsistencies in the prior investigations, and the board's chief analysis for military records contended that the brain photographs in the Kennedy records were probably not of Kennedy's brain. 
Yeah, you, you heard that properly. In 1998, the JFK Assassination Records Review Board unearthed inconsistencies, including that the, one of the chief boards, the board's chief analysis for military records contended that the brain photographs in the Kennedy records were probably not of Kennedy's brain. What in the hell? Why? How is that even the thing where you're looking at records, but they're not even of the, of the person's brain that, that you're looking at? That doesn't make any sense to me. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make not one damn sense to me. that how, how, how isn't the brain of the victim that you're supposed to be looking at is the brain of the victim? You know what I mean? Boy, I tell you. President John F. Kennedy was assassinated by gunshot while traveling in a motorcade in an open-top limousine in Dallas, Texas at 12.30 p.m. Central Standard Time on Friday, November 22, 1963. Texas Governor John Connolly was wounded, but he survived. Within two hours, Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested for killing Dallas policeman J.D. Tippett and arraigned that evening. Shortly after 1.30 a.m. On, San- on Saturday, November 23, Oswald was arraigned for murdering President Kennedy as well. On Sunday, November 24th at 11.21 a.m., Mafia-associated nightclub owner Jack Ruby fatally shot Oswald as he was being transferred from the city jail to the county jail. Because of the night, because of Jack Ruby's involvement of this, everyone, well, I shouldn't say everyone, but, but a popular theme for, for the assassination conspiracy was that the Mafia had number one hand and ownership for the assassination of President Kennedy. So uh, Leo Harvey Oswald, who was the, 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 the shooter from the book Depository in Dallas, he has mentioned multiple times that he didn't do anything, that he was just a patsy. He was just a cover-up. He was the fall guy for this whole large, huge conspiracy. I mean, is it true? No one knows. No one knows how true that actually is because he was dead. And plus, oh my gosh, how many people in the world would be able to pull something off this big? The government, right? If you want to know something real trippy, I mean, super, super, super trippy, just uh, go to DuckDuckGo and just look up CIA or FBI. Go to look up CIA or FBI uh, involvement in plots. And you're going to find a list of several confirmed, documented, CIA and FBI involvement in several crimes around the world. We're talking about the U.S. government. I'm not sure about any other ones around the world. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're just as guilty. But if you go, don't go to Google because Google has learned to suppress a lot of information, which that is a fact. I mean, Google is, is really famous for, for censoring a lot of shit. If you want to know some, I mean, if you ever want to look up something, go to DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo has some pretty cool, I mean, not pretty cool, but they're pretty open about not censoring a lot of shit. So as far as I, as far as I know, I can literally look up something on Google on my computer, pull it up on my phone, look it up on DuckDuckGo and have complete different, different information. I mean, a lot more information on DuckDuckGo than I have on Google. But just get on Google and, and I mean, not Google, but look up on uh, DuckDuckGo and, 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 uh, and search CIA and FBI involvement in crimes around the world. And you will see so much crazy shit about it. It's, it's crazy. It's ridiculous how much shit that it, they are involved in. Let's keep going. Immediately after the shooting, many people suspected that the assassination was part of a larger plot. And broadcasters speculated that Dallas right-wingers were involved. Oh, that's a big thing is that because Kennedy was a Democrat, 
that his his uh, democratic views were not up to par with the right wingers or republican conservative views either and because of his of uh, kennedy's popularity they knew for a fact that kennedy would more than likely serve 8 years as america's president which that would mean i mean if you if you actually think about it technically it would be 8 years of a democratic ran government which means at that you know depending on how corrupt things are going around that time that would mean that there's a lot of Republican corruption that will not be going around, a lot of conservative right-wing corruption that's not happening because of Kennedy's Democratic involvement and, and run. So, I mean, if you think about it, who other person would, would want to shoot or want to assassinate the president but their own government, right? I mean, everybody wants to advance somehow or some way. So why not get rid of the first individual or the only individual that is preventing you from continuing your money grab, right? Right. I mean, that's just my, my thing. Ruby shooting of Oswald compounded initial suspicions. Among conspiracy, among conspiracy theorists, author Mark Lane has been described as firing the first literally literal, literary shot with his article, Defense Brief for Oswald, in the National Guardian's December 19, 1963 issue. Thomas Buchanan's book, Who Killed Kennedy, published in May 1964, has been credited as the first book to allege a conspiracy I need to check these books out. I want to read everything about this stuff. I mean, I probably, after today's episode, I will I will more than likely, like, I mean, like 199.9% sure that I will not revisit the John F. Kennedy suspicion. That, that's how that's how 100% sure and accurate I am that once I, once I get done with this, with today's episode, if there's not a part three, if there's a part three, of course, then I'm going to revisit it, but if if it's only today's episode and we're done, then that's it. I'm not going to revisit this conspiracy anymore, but I will read more about it so I can educate myself, you know? In 1964, the Warren Commission concluded that Oswald had acted alone and that no credible evidence supported the contention that he was involved in a conspiracy to assassinate the president. See, the only problem that I have with this, with the Warren Commission, is that the Warren Commission was created by Lyndon B. Johnson and several other people involved in the government who, on record, did not like President Kennedy. So I find it difficult for, for someone to create a commission to investigate the assassination of someone who they didn't like. That, that's just, that's, just uh, that's, that's a problem for me. I mean, I, I mean or, or am I just overreacting and not thinking properly? I don't know. The commission also indicated that then-Secretary of State Dean Rusk, then-Defense Def Secretary Robert S. McNamara, then-Treasury Secretary C. Douglas Dillon, then-Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy, then-FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover, <laughs> J. Edgar Hoover, then-CIA Director John A. McCone, and then-Secret Service Chief James J. Rowley each individually reached the same conclusion on the basis of information available to them. So the Warren Commission is stating that there is no conspiracy that, that caused the assassination of John F. Kennedy. However, these multiple individuals, I mean, of course, Robert F. Kennedy is going to is going to want to believe that there was a conspiracy to kill his brother. You know, that's a given. But J. Edgar Hoover, who was the CIA director and then also the secretary of uh, the, the and the Secret Service chief, the chief of the Secret Service was also involved, I mean, uh, saying that that there was a conspiracy involved to killing John F. Kennedy. So was the defense secretary, Robert S. McNamara. McNamara. They, they, these individuals who all have legitimate and intel intelligent way of thinking that there was a conspiracy surrounding the assassination of John F. Kennedy. 
For those people who believe that John F. Kennedy was was assassinated without any conspiracy, I, I don't think you're what you're listening to the to the stuff properly. I mean, it, it, there's there's so much surrounding it. We're not talking about the mafia. I mean, the mafia, yeah, okay, but I don't think the mafia would be brazen enough to do a military hit, right? Right. I think the only people that would be ballsy enough to get away with this or ballsy enough to do it and get away with it would be our own government. That's just my opinion. Where's my tinfoil hat, man? I'm telling you what. During the trial of Clay Shaw in 1969, however, New Orleans District Attorney... However, New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison alleged the single bullet theory with evidence from the Zapruder film, which he claimed indicated that a fourth shot from the grassy knoll had caused the fatal shot to Kennedy's head. So one of the biggest theories or one of the things that going on is that there was an, there, there was a, 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 a mystery shooter from the grassy knoll that caused the fatal blow to Kennedy's head. As I continue reading through this, there's going to be more and more conspiracies and more and more crazy shit that's going to be going on. So let's just keep going. In 1979, the United States House Select Committee on Assassination agreed with the Warren Commissions that Oswald did, in fact, assassinate Kennedy, but concluded that the commission's report and the original FBI investigation were seriously flawed. The HSCA concluded that at least four shots were fired with a high probability that two gunmen fired at the president and the conspiracy was probable. So the HSCA say, yo, you know what? Oswald did, in fact, assassinate Kennedy. We're, we're putting him that he was the one who was there to, to shoot the, the president. However, according to the HSCA, they concluded that at least four shots were fired with a high probability that two gunmen fired at the president and that the conspiracy was probable, meaning that Oswald did not act alone the way the the Warren Commission initially stated that Oswald was the lone gunman. With with the trajectory and the bullet wounds and the and where the bullets were entering, there's no way that Oswald acted alone. It's just not it's not a reality. I mean, and with and with, the, with the the assassination committee, you 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 just think, yo, okay, we'll give you that, but however, we're also telling you that there was another one. It just it just makes sense to me. The HSCA stated that the Warren Commission had failed to investigate adequately the possibility of a conspiracy to assassinate the president. The Ramsey Clark panel and the Rockefeller Commission both supported the Warren the Warren Commission's conclusion. Of course, they're gonna the Rockefeller anything that has Rockefeller Rockefeller involved in it is gonna agree with the government. Uh, according to many 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 reports, the Rockefeller and the government are hand in hand and work very well together. I don't know how accurate that is. I'm just telling you that there are notes that the Rockefellers and the government are 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 in hand in hand. There are some people who state that the Rockefellers are the ones who secretly run the government. I don't know how accurate that is. Again, I'm just going off of what I read. And of course, like always, I mean you can always believe everything the internet says, right? <laughs> Most of the documents under Section 5 of the President John F. Kennedy Assassination Records Collection Act of 1992 were released on October 26, 2017, while the remaining documents that are still classified will be analyzed for redactions. A deadline for the remaining documents to be released has been set for October 26, 2021, and I am anxiously, anxiously awaiting for the rest of the records to the, the rest of the documents to be released the, October 26th of this year. It's going to be very interesting to find out what podcasters and other people who who have been following this case for many, many years, 
are going are gonna to find out on, on the new developments of the John F. Kennedy assassination. It's going to be interesting, no doubt. I mean, I, I'm, I'm go- I can't wait. I, I'm going to be glued to it, to be honest with you. Let's, keep, let's continue. After Oswald was shot dead by Ruby, FBI Director Hoover wrote a memo detailing that the Dallas police would not have had enough evidence against Oswald without the FBI's information. He then wrote, quote, the thing I am concerned about, and, is, and so is Deputy Attorney General Mr. Katzenbach, is having something issued so we can convince the public that Oswald was a real assassin. And, quote, why would the director of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, write his biggest concern, and so is that of the Attorney General or the Deputy Attorney General, is having something issued so we can convince the public that Oswald was the real assassin. Something issued so we can convince the public that Oswald is the real assassin. I don't know about you, but when you have to have something to convince the public that Oswald was a real shooter, there's probably something saying that Oswald wasn't the real shooter. That's just me. I might be thinking out the box on this one, but, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't cut myself into boxes. Top government and intelligent officials were also finding that, according to CIA intercepts, someone had impersonated Oswald in phone calls and visits made to the Soviet and Cuban embassies in Mexico City several weeks before the assassination. How do you how do you how do you uh, impersonate someone when uh, I get I mean okay so one of the biggest theories is that Oswald was actually tied in with the CIA and FBI that he was an actual informant which gave him the ability to travel from America to Cuba to uh, Russia freely I don't know how accurate that is but there are records that show that he was I mean he was a paid informant. And of course, there's also records that were released by the CIA and the FBI that Oswald was never a paid member of or a paid informant for the government. I mean, it's always going to go back and forth and only a few people are going to know the truth. And I want to know the truth. Over the next 40 years, this became one of the CIA's most closely guarded secrets on the Oswald case. A CIA career agency officer and good pastor admitted in sworn testimony she had disseminated the tapes of these phone calls herself. She had earlier denied to Congress- congressional investigators in 1970 that she had any knowledge of recordings of Oswald phone calls. So a career, a career CIA agent officer and, and good pastor admitted in sworn testimony disseminated the tapes. So she went through all of these tapes and she had that she had any knowledge. She had she denied that there was any knowledge of recordings of Oswald's phone calls. I mean, why? It, just, it, most of this stuff doesn't doesn't the register in my brain. Why? But then when someone is making a cover up, they're not going to leave you to give you the direct answer each and every time. I mean, it's you're always going to chase. You're always in a labyrinth trying to figure out if this path is going to be the truth or not. And obviously, we're not going to figure out the truth. Through this one on November 23rd, 1963, the day after the the day after the assassination, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover's preliminary analysis of the assassination included the following: the Central Intelligence Agency advised that on October 1st, 1963, an extremely sensitive source had reported that an individual identifying himself as Lee Oswald contacted the Soviet embassy in Mexico City, inquiring as to any messages. Special agents of this bureau who have conversed with Oswald in Dallas, Texas, have observed photographs of the individual referred to above and have listened to a recording of his voice. These special agents are of the of 
These special agents are of the opinion that the referred to individual was not Lee Harvey Oswald. The same day Hoover had this conversation was President Johnson. Jesus Christ. So there was there was evidence pointing that Lee Harvey Oswald was the one who was doing who was uh, t- contacting these people in New Mexico in uh, Mexico City. The he contacted the Soviet. So the, the the individual who was Lee Harvey Oswald himself contacted the Soviet embassy in Mexico City, asking if there was any messages left for him. Also, special agents of the bureau who have conversed with Oswald in Dallas, Texas, have observed photographs of the individual referred to the above and listened to recordings of his voice. These special agents are of the opinion that the referred to individual was not Lee. How, if there was a record showing that it was Lee Harvey Oswald? It doesn't make any sense to me that that there's not going to be anything of Lee Harvey Oswald when everything showed that it was Lee, R- Lee Harvey Oswald. You see what I mean? The same day Hoover had this conversation with President Johnson. President Johnson, have you established any more about the Oswald visit to the Soviet embassy in September? Hoover, no, there's one angle that's very confusing for this reason. We have up here the tape and the photograph of the man at the Soviet embassy using Oswald's name. The picture and the tape do not correspond to this man's voice nor to his appearance. In other words, it appears that there is a there was a second person who was at the Soviet embassy. That was a conversation between Linda B. Johnson and J. Edgar Hoover, the the, the, the creator and director of the CIA. Jesus Christmas. With the information that someone had been impersonating Oswald, President Johnson expressed concern that the public might come to believe that Soviet leader Nikita Nikita Khrushchev and or Cuban leader Fidel Castro was implicated in the assassination, a situation that Johnson said might lead to, quote, a war that could kill 40 million Americans in an hour, end quote. Johnson relayed his concern to both Chief Justice Earl Warren and Senator Richard Russell, telling them they would, quote, serve America, end quote, by joining the commission Johnson had established to investigate the assassination, which would later become known as, which later, which would later become known unofficially as the Warren Commission. Kaskenbach wrote a, memorand- a memorandum to Lyndon Johnson aide Bill Moyers that said, among other things, that the results that the results of the FBI's investigation should be made public. Kaskenbach also suggested that a commission be formed composed of people with, quote, impe- impeccable integrity, end quote, end quote, to conduct a complete investigation of the assassination. Kaskenbach wrote, quote, Speculation about Oswald's motivation ought to be cut off, and we should have some basis for the rebuting thought, for the rebutting thought that this was a communist conspiracy, or as the Iron Curtain Press is saying, a right-wing conspiracy to blame it on the communists. End quote. He also wrote, quote, "The public must be satisfied that Oswald was the assassin; that he did not have confederates who are still at large, and that the evidence was such that he would have been convicted at trial, end quote. Four days after Katzenbach's memo, Johnson formed the Warren Commission with Earl Warren as chairman and Senator Richard Russell as a member. So we have Russians writing to the government saying, yo, I think this is what should happen. This is what needs to be done. And please don't make it seem like the like the, the communists or, or the Russians had any involvement, or Soviets at the time, had any involvement. After this was done, officially the Warren Commission was named and created. Huh. 
See, I mean, most of this stuff is just weird. It, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, number one, I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist. So a lot of this information is brand new. And so when I'm reading it, I'm trying to process it at the same time as I'm trying to give it to you. So it, it, it's one of those, what's going on? So I have to you know, reread in my brain and try to, you know, my little hamsters are like, yo, I'm burnt out from last week's uh, episode or uh, the part one. So let's not do any more of this shit, but I have to. So what we're going to get into now, we're going to get into some weird coincidences that happen to correspond co- uh, with the weird shit that, or the conspiracy shit that has been going on. So prepare yourself. Richard Byer wrote that many witnesses whose statements pointed to a conspiracy were either ignored or intimidated by the Warren Commission. You, read, you, you heard that right. They were either ignored or intimidated by the Warren Commission. It's no, it's, it's no secret that governments from around the world are known for intimidation in order for, the, in order, in order for secrets and or the truth to be kept under wraps. I mean, there's, there's governments that went as far as murdering people who have legit evidence on corruption. So it's no, it's no secret, especially American governments, that, we, that, 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 that uh, intimidation was a thing. It, it, it's no secret. In JFK, The Last Dissenting Witness, a 1992 biography of Gene Hill, Bill Sloan wrote that Warren Commission Assistant Counsel Arlen Specter attempted to humiliate, discredit, and intimidate Hill into changing her story. Hill also told Sloan that she was abused by Secret Service agents, harassed by the FBI, and received death threats. Here's my thing is that if Oswald was the legitimate lone, lone gunman and that he would act alone and there's no other conspiracies or issues or thoughts or anything negative that would, would, put, would put any question into the government, why is there intimidation, why is there harassment by the government officials? It only leads to one thing, right? There's corruption. There's corruption and conspiracy. The government killed F, John F. JFK. It's not a secret. Everything points to the government, but most people will don't want to believe that. And I understand. I mean, it's really difficult for you to believe that you're, you're, the government that you so have your whole trust and safety in are the same ones that are intimidating, harassing, and, and killing people. It, it's not a good thing to, to believe. In his book, Crossfire, Jim Mars give accounts of, gives accounts of several people who said they were intimidated by either FBI agents or anonymous individuals into altering or suppressing what they knew regarding the assassination. Some of those individuals include Richard Carr, Aquila Clemens, Sandy Speaker, and A.J. Millicon. Mars also wrote that Texas school book. Mars also wrote that the tech that Texas books Texas school book depository employee Joe Molina was quote intimidated by authorities and lost his job soon after the assassination, end quote. And that witnesses Ed Hoffman was warned by an FBI agent that, quote, he might get killed, end quote, if he revealed what he observed in Dilly Plaza on the day of the assassination. Now, th- these aren't just assumptions. These are legitimate records. And, and, and what, what, these, what, what some of these witnesses actually would repeat later on more and more and more and more. It, it's insane to me. It is literally insane to me that this is even an issue when we're supposed to know the whole truth, nothing but the truth, fully the truth, so help me God, right? Right. So why, what's going on with the assassination, the intimidation, and you're going to die? I mean, you're, you, you, were, you were literally threatened. You were given a death threat. 
by someone just for you wanting to tell the truth. That it, it, That's insane to me. It's, it's, it's truly insane. Warren Reynolds, who claimed that he saw the shooter of police officer J.D. Tippett and chased him, was shot in the head in January 1964, two days after first talking to the FBI. He survived. Reynolds later testified to the Warren Commission that in February 1964, someone attempted to kidnap his 10-year-old daughter. So someone who saw the shooter of the police officer, J.D. Tippett, which again, that was accused, that that was an accusation that Oswald is the one who killed the police, J.D. Tippett. That that when he killed a police officer, that was what went downhill for Oswald in order for him to get to get arrested and charged with the assassination of John F. K. This gentleman, Warren Reynolds, claims that he's the one who actually who saw the real shooter or the the real individual who murdered J.D. Tippett, Officer J.D. Tippett. Once he was cha- and chased him, I mean, the Good Samaritan, you know, you want to catch someone who just shot a cop, but he was shot in the head in January 1964, two days after first talking to the FBI. Letting, letting them know that, hey, this is exactly what I saw. This is what was going on. I mean, he survived. And then in February of 1964, someone attempted to kidnap his 10-year-old daughter. It, I mean, this is loaded with, with, with corruption. This is loaded with shit that you don't, you don't, you can't make this shit up. I mean, this shit is, is legitimate, bone-crushing, weird evidence that people do not take into consideration. Allegations of mysterious or suspicious deaths of witnesses connected with the Kennedy assassination originated with journalist Penn Jones Jr. and were covered by Ramparts magazine in October 1966. The story was picked up by Reuters and multiple newspapers reported reported on it at that time. The Ramparts article cited 10 people who died within three years of the assassination, including... These are these 10 people who died within three years of the JFK assassination. These were people who were all witnesses and had firsthand accounts on what actually happened during, the, during that time. These 10 people died mysteriously three years or within three years. So we're just going to go in order. Jim Coath or Coath, he died September 21st, 1964. One of two reporters who Thanks to Co- to Coeth being acquitted with lawyers who had worked for Jack Ruby was allowed in Ruby's apartment the night after Ruby shot Oswald. Coeth was killed with a karate chop on the neck in his own apartment by an intruder or intruders. Okay, come on, man. A karate chop on the on the neck in his own apartment. Give me a break. This is uh, this is the, come on. The, uh, oh, I tell you. And see what the, what blows my mind is that some of these way these causes of death like the karate chop to the neck come on man it it doesn't it just raises more suspicion how someone's going to get chopped in the neck and then that's the end of it it doesn't make any sense to me Bill Hunter died April twenty third nineteen sixty four the other the other of the two reporters who went to Ruby's apartment the night after Ruby shot Oswald killed he was killed by a policeman with a gunshot at a police station the gunshot was deemed accidental. It doesn't make any sense how an accidental gunshot. What, what do you mean? What do you do? You're playing Russian roulette. You're trying to show them your quick, your quick West gun hand movements. You just no. Come on now. William Whaley died December 1965. The taxi driver who took Oswald from the scene of the assassination. Whaley died in a car crash alongside the driver of the car, which crashed into his cab. Described by Jones Jr. as the quote first Dallas cab driver to die on duty since 1937. 
So William Whaley died in a car accident. He was a taxi driver. That was the first Dallas cab driver to die on duty since 1937. 30-something years in between where a cab driver died on duty. He was, he drove Oswald from the scene of the assassination. He died in a car crash alongside the driver of the car, which crashed into his cab. Now, was the car, was the driver who crashed into the taxi, was he already dead? And that's why, that's why he, he crashed. Or did he, or was it the impact that actually killed him? Jesus, Christmas trees in June. Erlene Roberts or early or Erlene Roberts. Oh, it's the same thing. <laughs> died January 1966. Oswald's landlady, Oswald's landlady over the rooming ruse where Oswald lived, died of a heart attack, age 60. No report, no autopsies. No autopsy was performed. So Erlene Roberts, who was Oswald's landlady, died of a heart attack, aged 60, but no autopsy was performed. Hmm. Tom Howard died March 1965. One of Ruby's lawyers, the lead lawyer, according to Jones Jr., Howard also went to Ruby's apartment with Coeth and Hunter the night after Ruby shot Oswald. Howard died of a heart attack, age 48, after behaving strangely for a few days and not recognizing his friends. Again, no autopsy was performed. I understand that you, okay, okay, I understand that depending on your health and around the time in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, there's a lot of heart disease going around because a lot of medical examiners or a lot of doctors didn't fully understand the danger of certain things that cause clogging in your heart, in your arteries. I understand that. But when he died of a heart attack at age 48 after behaving strangely for a few days and not recognizing his friends, but then no autopsy was performed. You know, my my dad, my dad passed away when I was a young wee little, wee little lad. I mean, this wasn't this is not a secret. And from my understanding, I believe an autopsy was conducted, and the end result or the cause of death was that he aspirated on food. He choked on a piece of meat. That that was the end result. I don't know how or what how or anything about autopsies, but I believe that an autopsy was performed. I'm not sure if it was a request of my mother. I might be lying. I might be completely misunderstanding the 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 information that I remember as a little child or as a young as a young grumbler. But if if any one of my family members, especially my husband or someone close to my of my of my uh, and my kin, my family was was behaving strangely and they were not recognizing any friends, I would most definitely have an autopsy conducted. I mean, or uh, an autopsy performed. Because what if he was poisoned? Oh yeah, don't don't forget the, we can poison people. It just, it's that his these deaths are just are just too they're 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 too questionable for me. Lee Bowers died August 1966. A witness who was in a railway interlocking was in a railway interlocking tower that overlooked Dilly Plaza at the time of the assassination. Bowers died after his car crashed into a bridge abutment. Okay, I understand that people are driving, are getting worse and worse and worse at driving. I understand that. But this is 1966. There is like a thousand cars on the road. And you're telling me that Lee Bowers died crashing into a bridge. Come on now. 
I don't know. For those of you who've ever driven in Texas, don't get me wrong. Dallas is is a really challenging place to drive. So is Houston. So is a lot of major cities in the United States. I mean, specifically Texas. I mean, you have some, it's, it is huge and wide open. However, there are challenging places to drive. And Texas is one of, uh, I mean, Dallas, Texas is one of, uh, one of the challenging places to drive here in, here in Texas. But this is 1966. Nowhere near, and this is statistical evidence. I mean, there's, yeah, there is statistics statistical evidence that the cause of car crash back in the 60s is nowhere near compared to the, I mean, not the cause, but accidents in the 60s are nowhere near the accidents that we have nowadays because of the different style of drivers. Back in the 60s, they were a lot courteous, a lot more courteous. And number two, the cars were made out of solid freaking steel, not like the fiberglass plastic shit that we have now. So for someone to run into a bridge and then die because he ran into a bridge, it, that doesn't make any sense to me. What if he was shot in the head or, you know what I mean? I don't know. There's something, something not right. Hank William died, or Hank Killiam, or Hank Killam died March 1964, whose wife was a cigarette girl at Ruby's Club. Killam later moved to Florida and died there. He received a phone call at 4 a.m. after which he went to a building in downtown Pensacola and jumped or fell out of a first floor window and bled to death from cuts to his throat amid broken pieces of glass. Come on now. He was, he jumped or fell out of a first floor window, but bled to death from cuts to his throat because of broken glass pieces. Okay. Out of all of those, if that's not the most suspicious one, then I don't know. You, you need to turn on your conspiracy brain. There's no way that someone, I mean, come on. You you know, you would have to, Jesus, I, I, wouldn't, I couldn't even imagine or try to picture a scenario where you would fall out of a first floor window and then bleed to death because your throat got cut with shards of glass. Is it impossible? Absolutely not. It is, it is impossible. It is very, it, it is, it, it's a very small percentage that something like that might actually happen. I mean, we're sitting in a first floor window now. I mean, well, now I'm in my second story, but when you're down in, in your living room, for a lot of people who have, uh, or the, 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 who have single level homes, or we'll take it, we'll take a, we'll take a store, we'll take a building or whatever. The first floor is right usually by the, on the street side. So all you have to do is just fall out of there. So you're telling me that you're going to fall out of there and you're going to get cut up on the throat by glass and you're going to bleed to death at 4 a.m., I believe it's, that's what it said, right? He got to receive the phone call at 4 a.m. So that means that's, that's around 5. We'll put him anywhere between 4.35 a.m. We'll put him to between 4.30 to 5.30. So that's an hour where people, regardless of the day, are going to be on walking through that area. In downtown Pensacola, there's going to be someone out at 4 or 5 in the morning, even 6 in the morning. There's no way. I mean, there's even crackheads that are out at even that time. I mean, there's people who are just finishing the night, heading back home at 4.30 a.m., 5 a.m. Boy, I tell you. Edward Benavides died February 1965, brother of Domingo Benavides, a key witness in the J.D. Tippett shooting. Domingo Benavides saw the shooter and entered Tippett's car to radio for help. Benavides died of a gunshot to the head in a bar. No one else was killed in the bar shooting. Jones Jr. implied it was a case of mistaken identity and that Domingo Benavides was the intended victim. Absolutely not. 
unless they are goddamn twins, I mean, Siamese identical twins, there is no way that a mistaken identity is going to be held because of someone who was shot in the goddamn head. Come on now. And you're telling me that no one in the bar saw the, saw the person who shot him or, or no one attempted, but he died of a gunshot head in the bar and no one else was killed. Jones Jr. implied it was a case of mistaken identity. Although the although Benavides, the Edward Benavides is the one who Shaw, who, who was the key witness to the J.D. Tippett shooting. No, absolutely not. Nancy Jane Mooney, a.k.a. Betty McDonald, died February 1964, a stripper at Jack Ruby's Club. Mooney was arrested for fighting with her roommate and reportedly hanged herself in the Dallas jail cell. Mooney provided an alibi to the suspected shooter of Warren Reynolds after Reynolds, who said he saw the killer of J.D. Tippett and reported this to the FBI, was shot in the head in January 1964. Just by the way, um, Epstein didn't hang himself. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, I'm just throwing that in there. Epstein 100% did not kill himself. There's the 100% sure. Just I, I mentioned that because I don't believe that this gal hanged herself in a Dallas jail cell. Is it impossible? Absolutely not. Was it a lot of different times back in then? 100%, no doubt. But Mooney was provided an Allen. And then, oh my goodness, Reynolds. Okay, hold on. <laughs> to the suspect shooter, Warren Reynolds, after Reynolds, who said he saw the killer. J.D. Tippett and reported to the FBI, he was shot in the head in 1964. There's too many, there's too many eerie coincidences where people are, are doing this shit. It, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Boy, I tell you, my head is a pretzel. I have a pretzel in my head right now. The 10th death listed was that of Dorothy Kilgallen. Kilgian, the the Ramparts article also referenced witnesses who said that Ruby and Oswell knew each other and that Ruby had, quote, gangland connections. I don't believe that. Evidence tampering and lies. Let's get into more of the thicket, into the thick of it, into the thick of it. Yeah, we are definitely starting to get more and more into this shit. I might just end this. You know, are we ready for an hour and a half episode? I think we're ready for an hour episode. This is what's happening. We're going to end this shit today. Many of those who believe in a JFK assassination conspiracy also believe that evidence against Oswald was either planted, forged, or tampered with. I 100% agree with that as well. Some assassination researchers assert that witness statements indicating a conspiracy were ignored by the Warren Commission. Josiah Thompson stated that the commission ignored the testimony of seven witnesses who said they saw smoke in the vicinity of the grassy knoll at the time of the assassination as well as an eighth witness who said he smelled gunpowder. So this was not a, 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 an uncommon thing. A lot of witnesses who were around there, I mean, this is Dallas, Texas. This is Texas in the 60s. People openly walked around with handguns and shot them on their property all the time. A lot of these Texans know what gunpowder and gunshots sound like. It was not, uh, it's not something that is far-fetched. You're in Dallas, Texas. You Hold on. You're in Texas in the 60s. You're going to know what stuff like that is. I mean, uh, people who have fired a pistol or a rifle can see the end smoke once the, once the bullet leaves the barrel. It's not, it's something, it's not mistakeable. You can't mistake it for smoke, for cigarette smoke. It's a whole different consistency and color. But the Warren Commission ignored 
the testimony of seven witnesses and an eighth witness who said he smelled gunpowder. If you fire, even if you've never been around a firearm and you and it's fired close by you, you can smell the gunpowder. It's a distinct odor. It, you just can't mistake it. You, you, it's it's recognizable. Jim Mars wrote that the com- that the commission did not seek the testimony of eyewitnesses on the triple underpass whose statements pointed to a shooter on the grassy knoll. So the commission just ignored it, just say, fuck it, I'm not going to pay attention to you at all. There it was no shooter on the grassy knoll. Boy, I tell you. Other researchers reported that witnesses who captured the assassination via, via photographs or film had their cameras confiscated by police or other authorities. Author Jim Mars and documentary producer Nigel Turner both presented the account of Gordon Arnold, who said that his film of the motorcade was taken by two policemen shortly after the assassination. Oh, yeah, that was a big thing, too. People who their own personal cameras were taken and cameras and and the film was never returned to them. They were either destroyed or, hey, we need to hold on this to a little more. And nothing was ever given back to the individuals who submitted their own personal film. Actually, let me rephrase. It wasn't submitted. They were confiscated. These were given. Hey, that is that is what that is evidence that we need subpoenaed. It is mine now. Another witness identified as Beverly Oliver came forward in 1970 and said she was the babushka lady who is seen in the Zapruder film filming the motorcade. She also said that after the assassination, she was contacted at work by two men who she thought were, quote, were either FBI or Secret Service agents, end quote. According to Oliver, the men told her that they wanted to take her film, have it developed, and then return it to her within 10 days. The agents took her film, but never returned it. I'm not going to get into the babushka lady. That's a whole different can of worms that it's going to be added just more and more time to this already marathon episode. So if you want to do information on that on your own, go ahead and just just Google or DuckDuckGo babushka lady and you will be shocked on the shit that, that's there. It's crazy. It, it, it's nuts. But it ultimately the end result, they could not put it identify enough to have 100% connection to the assassination of, of uh, John F. Kennedy. Richard Byer and, and others have complained that many documents pertaining to the assassination have been withheld over the years, including documents from investigations made by the Warren Commission, the House Select Committee of Assassinations, and the Church Committee. All these places are, are withholding these documents. Why? I mean, here's my biggest thing that I never understood. Maybe somebody can can help me understand. Uh, maybe it's a legal analysis or documentist. I don't I don't know the exact term. If you're doing illegal shit, why would you write it down? It goes to one of my most favorite movies in the entire world, and it's Casino, where one of the guys who was keeping track of what was going on in Vegas with your elaborate robbing Vegas scheme with the Tangiers uh, Hotel and Casino. He kept getting sent out to do all this, all this uh, uh, handling of business out in Nevada. And this dummy says, look, I'm going to start keeping records and writing down. I'm not being compensated. I'm using my money here. I'm using my money there. And it's never given back to me. And one of the guys all, hey, nobody wants, nobody needs, you don't need to write anything down. What do you do? File for taxes? Don't write anything down. Well, he, he continued writing it down. And when eventually, when the whole thing, the empire collapsed, his documents were instr- were instrumental in in convicting the mob bosses that ran the Tangiers Hotel. So my question is, if these people are doing illegal shit, why not meet in public and have it v- via verbal 
reporting versus, versus having it actually written down and having paper hardcore documentation. If you know the answer, go ahead and email me, graveyardgrumbler at mail.com, Graveyard Grumbler Podcast on Podbean and Instagram. Just let me know. I'm curious. These documents individually included the president's autopsy records. Some documents still are not scheduled for release until 2029. Many documents were released during the mid to late 1990s by the Assassination Records Review Board under the President John F. Kennedy Assassination Records Collection Act of 1992. However, some of the material released contains redacted sections. Tax return info, which identified employers and sources of income, have has not yet been released. All right, well, not all that shit's going to be released. Just, just, just release the shit already. The existence of several secret documents related to the assassination, as well as the long period of secrecy, suggests to some the possibility of a cover-up. One historian noted, quote, there exists widespread suspicion about the government's disposition of the Kennedy assassination records stemming from the beliefs that federal, off- federal officials, one, have not made available all government assassination records, even to the Warren Commission, Church Committee, House Association Committee, and two, have heavily redacted the records released under the FOIA in order to cover up sinister conspiracies. End quote. I'm telling you, this shit gets more and more hairier. If records and everything have not been fully released, even to the Warren Commission, then the, the FOIA are covering up something more sinister and the, they don't want the public to know. That is the bottom line. I guarantee goddamn to you that everyone involved in the 60s that, served, that worked in the government that, have a, that had a foot involved with anything Lyndon B. Johnson or John F. Kennedy know exactly what happened and have been threatened with their life or their family's life to not say one goddamn word. According to the ARRB, quote, all Warren Commission records except those records that contain tax return information are now available to the public with only minor redactions, end quote. In response to a Freedom of Information Act request filed by journalist Jefferson Morley, the CIA stated in 2010 that it had over 1,100 documents in in relation to the assassination about 2,000 pages in total that have not been released due to national security-related concerns. I don't know how that... How would uh, something happen nationally? Back in the 60s, still be a national security-related concern. Finding out what happened to John F. Kennedy back in the 60s, in my opinion, would not have any affiliation or impact on in 2021. So why not just release the damn paperwork? Just release it. We want to know. We want to know. You know what I mean? Some researchers, some researchers had, some researchers have alleged that various items of physical evidence have been tampered with, including quote, the single bullet, also known as the magic bullet, end quote. By some critics of official explanations, various bullet cartridges and fragments, the presidential limousine's windshield, oh my gosh, the presidential limousine's windshield, the paper bag in which the Warren Commission said Oswald hid the rifle, the so-called backyard photos depicting Oswald holding the rifle, the Zabruder film, the the photographs and radiographs obtained at Kennedy's autopsy, and the president's dead body itself. These were all apparently confirmed physical evidence that had been tampered with legitimately. This is done by 
multiple people over different years saying that the original reports and the reports that they were given and the, the research that they conducted themselves were all inconsistent. Jesus Christ. Among the evidence against Oswald are photographs of him holding a Carcano rifle in his backyard, the weapon identified by the Warren Commission as the, as the assassination weapon. The House Select Committee on Assassinations included that the Oswald photos are genuine and Oswald's wife, Marina, said that she took them and, and Oswald's wife, Marina, said that she had taken those photos. In 2009, the journal Perception published the findings of Haney Faraday, a professor in the Department of Computer Science at Dartmouth College who used 3D modeling software to, on, to analyze one of these photographs. He demonstrated that a single light source could create seemingly incongruent shadows and concluded that the photograph revealed no evidence of tampering. Many researchers, including Robert Grodin, assert that the photos are Fake. Yeah, they are fake. Grodin said in 1979 that four autopsy photographs show. Grodin said in 1979 that four autopsy photographs showing the back of Kennedy's head were forged to hide a wound fired from a second gunman. According to Grodin, a photograph of a cadaver's head was inserted over another depicting a large exit wound in the back of the president's head. Jesus, Christmas trees in 1979, four autopsy photographs showing the back of Kennedy's head were forged to hide a wound fired from the second gunman. Really? We're going that far to hire to, to hide this shit? We're gonna put a different head? It said according to Grodin, there was a cadaver's head was inserted over another depicting a large exit wound in the back of the president's head. Why? Why? Oh my gosh! See what I mean about it? it's so difficult to see to know what is wrong and what is what is true, or what is wrong, what is right, what is lies, what's the truth. Oh, if, if someone is going as far as putting a cadaver's head to cover up bullet wounds, so when they take pictures, they can't see the truth. There's something wrong with that. One hundred percent. HSCA Chief Counsel G. Robert Blakely stated that the suggestion stated that, quote, suggesting that the committee would participate participate in a cover-up is absurd, end quote, and that Grodin was, quote, not competent to make a judgment on whether a photograph has been altered, end quote. Blakely stated that the photographic analysis panel for the committee had examined the photographs and that they, quote, consider everything, end quote, that Gordon had to say and rejected it. Damn. So Robert, Chief Counsel Robert Blakely said, yo, this food is not smart enough to uh, to make judgments on whether a photograph has been altered or not. And Grodin, and Grodin said, yo, whatever, fuck you. I know what I, I'm talking about. You don't. Jesus Christmas. The House, Select, the House Select Committee on Assassination described the Zapruder film as, quote, the best available photographic evidence of the number and timing of the shots that struck the occupants of the presidential limousine, end quote. The Assassination Records Review Board said, quote, is, quote, it is perhaps the single most important assassination record, end quote. According to Vincent Buglosi, the film was originally touted by the vast majority of the conspiracy theorists as incontrovertible proof of a conspiracy, but is now believed by many conspiracy theorists to be a sophisticated forgery. Now the Zapruder film is, is, is fake now, too? The Zapruder film was one of the most accurate, documented, sought-after things that the government wanted to take away and keep under wraps. Now they're saying that it's a sophisticated forgery? 
Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. In nineteen ninety-six, the assassination Re- the assassination records review board asked Kodak product engineer Roland Zavada to undertake a thorough technical study of the Zabruder film. Zavada concluded that there was no detect- detectable evidence of manipulation or image altering alteration on the film's original version. Well, I don't know. It, that that's uh, that's up for debate. Debate. This was in nineteen ninety-six. And this happened in the in the 30s in the in the 60s. That's 30 years to where a new film could have been created altogether. You know what I mean? I mean, if 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 America faked the the moon landing, what makes you think they didn't alter the the, the Zapruder film? <laughs> David Lifton wrote that the Zapruder film was in the possession of the CIA's National Photographic Interpretation Center. By the night of the assassination, Jack White was a researcher and photographic consultant to the House Select Committee on Assassinations, and he claimed that there were anomalies in the Zapruder film, including, quote, an unnatural jerkness of movement or change of focus in certain frame sequences, end quote. Jesus Christmas, this shit is crazy. I might... I, if you don't hear from the Graveyard Grumbler, that is because the FBI have wrapped me up and I am being taken away. He he ho ho ha ha. Former senior official at the CIA's National Photographic Interpretation Center, Dino Brugoni, said that he and his team examined the 8mm Zabruder film of John F. Kennedy assassination the evening of Saturday, November 23rd, 1963, and into the morning of Sunday, November 24th, 1963. In a 2011 interview with Douglas Horn of the, of the Assassination Record Review Board, Brugoni said that the Zapruder film in the National Archives today and available to the public has been altered from the version of the film he saw and worked with on November 23rd through the 24th. Brugoni recalls seeing, quote, a white cloud, end quote, of brain matter three or four feet above Kennedy's head and says that this spray lasted for more than one frame of the film. Mother truck nuts in June smut field being kicked by a high heel. Brugoni stated that the Zapruder film that are in the archives today have been altered from the original version he saw on November 23rd through the 24th. This was one of the main guys who was on there who watched the Zapruder film. Now he's saying that it's all it was altered. What? Oh my goodness! The version of the Zapruder film available to the public depicts the fatal headshot on only one frame of the film, frame three thirteen. Additionally, Brugoni is certain that the set of briefing boards available to the public in the National Archives is not the set that he and his team produced on November twenty third to twenty fourth in nineteen sixty three. What the hell? So the stuff that he that he that he gave to the public were not the ones that he, that he gave to the public. Apparently they were they were changed, and the version of the Zapruder film available to the public only showed the fatal headshot in one frame, which is frame three thirteen. I wonder, you know, I'm gonna actually gonna duck to go the the film of, of that. I want to I actually want to watch it. I'm actually gonna watch the movie JFK by Oliver Stone. He did a pretty good uh, version. I mean, it wasn't accurate, of course, it was for entertainment, but he did a really great job uh, directing the Doors. The but that was a great movie. Crazy, crazy. In his 1981 book, in his 1981 book, Best Evidence, author David Lifton presented the thesis that President Kennedy's dead body had been altered between the Dallas Hospital and the autopsy site at Bethesda for the purpose for the purposes of creating 
erroneous conclusions about the number and direction of the shots. Now we're messing with dead bodies. Now we're messing with goddamn dead bodies so we can alter the holes and figure out which way so nobody can figure out where the shot actually came from. What? I'm not understanding any of this concept. I'm I'm not I'm trying to figure <laughs> I'm trying to figure this shit out. By this time I I'm my, I have put down my Sherlock Holmes glass and my cosplay. I'm I'm no I am no longer a part of this this thing. The Warren Commission found that the shots that killed Kennedy and wounded Connolly were fired from Italian 6.5 millimeter Manlicher Carcano rifle owned by Oswald. Deputy Sheriff Eugene Boone and Deputy Constable Seymour Weitzman both initially identified the rifle round in the Texas School Book Depository as a 7.65 German Mauser. That's not the same weapon. Nah, it's not the same weapon at all. So why do we have two different weapons? Weitzman signed an affidavit the following day describing the weapon as a 7.65 Mauser bolt action equipped with a 418 scope, with a 418th scope, a thick leather brownish black sling on it. Deputy Sheriff Roger Craig claimed that he saw a 7.65 Mauser stamped on the bar on the barrel of the weapon. When interviewed in 1968 by researcher Barry Ernest, Craig said, quote, I felt then and I still feel now that the weapon was a 7.65 German Mauser. I was there. I saw it when it was first pulled from its hiding place, and I am not alone in describing it as a Mauser. But later on, reports show that it was actually some an Italian Carcano or something like that. I believe that's what it was. What, what's going on here? What the fuck is going on here now? Dallas District Attorney Henry Wade told the press that the weapon found in the book depository was a 7.65 Mauser, and the media reported this. But investigators later, later identified the rifle as a 6.5 millimeter Carcano in Matrix for Assassination. In the book Matrix for Assassination, author Richard Gilbright suggested that both weapons were involved in the assassination and that Dallas Police Captain Will Fritz and Lieutenant J. Carl Day both might have been conspirators. Oh my gosh. So now both weapons were involved, which again, we have multiple shooters. There, the, the, at the very least, people are suspecting that there was two extra shooters, Lee Harvey Oswald and the, the shooter on the grassy knoll. That is no secret to where the bullet wounds and exit wounds. But now we're hiding bodies. We have two different weapons. And now Lieutenant Carl J. Uh, Lieutenant J. Carl Day and police captain Will Fritz are, are now considered co uh, conspirators. Why, why can't, why can't we just get, get on and just have this shit taken care of? It just, Oh boy, I tell you addressing speculation rumors. The Warren commission identified Wetzman as the original source of the speculation that the rifle was a Mauser and stated police laboratory technicians subsequently arrived and correctly identified the murder weapon as a 6.5 Italian rifle. So someone got it wrong, huh? So the Warren commission initially said that it was a Mauser and now we're talking about a, 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 a Italian rifle. Shots fired, shots fired, shots fired. The Warren Commission determined that three bullets were fired at the presidential motorcade. One of the three bullets missed the vehicle entirely. Another bullet hit President Kennedy and passed through his body before striking Governor Connolly. And the third bullet was the fatal headshot to the president. I actually watched a documentary on that. That's pretty cool to, to see how they reanalyzed and did the shootings for, for, uh, for this, the president, uh, the, the assassination. Some claim that the bullet that passed through President Kennedy's body and hit Governor Connolly, dubbed by critics of the commission as the magic bullet, was missing too little mass to account for the total weight of the bullet fragments later found by the doctors who operated on Connolly at Parkland Hospital. 
Those making this claim included the governor's chief surgeon, Dr. Robert Shaw, as well as two of Kennedy's autopsy surgeons, Commander James Humes and Lieutenant Colonel Pierre Fink. However, in his book, Six Seconds in Dallas, author Josiah Thompson took issue with this claim. No shit. Thompson added up the weight of the bullet fragments listed in the doctor's reports and concluded that their weight, that their total weight could have been less than the mass missing from the bullet. With Connolly's death in 1993, forensic pathologist Dr. Cyril Weck and the Association and the Assassination Archives and Research Center petitioned Attorney General Janet Reno to recover the remaining bullet fragments from Connolly's body, contending that the fragments would disprove the Warrens Commission single bullet, single gunman conclusion. The Justice Department replied that it would have had no legal authority to recover the fragments unless Connolly's family gave permission to do so. Connolly's family refused permission. See, my thing is that if if my if my my significant other was involved in something so huge and he literally has evidence inside his body, once he passed away and they asked me that, I'm like, yeah, go right ahead. I want to find out what you know what the fuck is going on as well. Go ahead and take the remaining fragments and let's put this shit to rest once and for all. But they didn't, which makes me which makes me believe that there's more to it than there's to it. You know what I mean? Boy, I tell you. The Warren Commission concluded that three shots were fired from the Texas school the Texas school book depository in a time period ranging from approximately 4.8 to an excess of seven seconds. Some assassination researchers, including Josiah Thomas and Anthony Summers, dispute the commission's findings. They point to evidence that brings into question the number of shots fired, the origin of the shots, and Oswald's ability to accurately fire three shots in such a short amount of time from such a rifle. These researchers suggest that multiple gunmen were involved. It is not insane or it is not out of, the, out of uh, complete disbelief that someone can let off three shots in, a, in between 4.8 to 7 seconds. You have to be Johnny on spot and your hand-to-eye coordination and body functions have to be on it in order to get these shots taken off. Now, three shots between 4.8 to 7 seconds, that's a three-second window. That's a shot a second if, if you're taking it the slow. I mean, if you look at professional gunmen, I mean, yes, I understand he's a professional gunman. 100% I understand. But shots are let off less than three. Then, then three shots are let off well under four point eight to seven seconds. That's not the problem here. One of the biggest re- problems that that we have, or one of the things that 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 strike me as as odd, is that the weapons back then are not the same as the weapons now. So yes, making it a little more difficult to let three shots off between four point eight and seven seconds, but it is not impossible. I mean, it, it's just not impossible. Based on the consensus among the witnesses at the scene, and in particular the three spent cartridges found near an open window on the sixth floor of the book depository, the Warren Commission determined that preponderance of the evidence indicated that three shots were fired. In 1979, the House Select Committee of Assassinations concluded that there were four shots, one coming from the grassy knoll. There are four. I mean, where is the... Oh my gosh, there's so many questions that I have and nobody's going to answer them for me unless you have all the answers. Graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. So there's already three shots. One missed, one hit Kennedy and exited and hit Connolly. We, we, we know that shot. And then there was the third and final fatal shot. 
So you have one that that missed, you have one that hit the the Kennedy, and then you have one that that now uh, uh, that that was that was the actual shot. But now we're talking about there was a there was four bullets, one coming from the grassy knoll. The, the, the one that that suspected is that the the grassy knoll shot was the one that killed Kennedy. Oh, my gosh. The Warren Commission and later House Select Committee on Assassinations concluded one of the shots hit President Kennedy in the back of his neck, exited his throat, and struck Governor Connolly in the back, exited the governor's chest, shattered his right wrist, and implanted itself in his left thigh. This This conclusion became known as the single bullet theory or the magic bullet. So the the trajectory and and the and the way that it in came out and hit out it would literally have to have changed course in order to exit and enter the way or enter and exit the way it did in in the position that it did and hit the areas that it hit mary mormon said in a tv interview immediately after the assassination that there were either three or four shots close together that shots were still being fired after the fatal headshot and that she was in the line of fire In 1967, Josiah Thompson concluded from a close study of the Zapruder film and other forensic forensic evidence corroborated by by eyewitnesses that four shots were fired in Dealey Plaza with one wounding Connolly and three hitting Kennedy. Three shots hitting Kennedy, but what happens? There's a missing... So there, there was a report, unless that was a lie too, with the, the first weapon that was, I mean, the first round that was shot that missed the motorcade, that missed the, uh, uh, President Kennedy. There was actually a mark in the street where the bullet hit, unless that was fabricated. Boy, I tell you, my eyes have gone crossed. On the day of the assassination, Nellie Connolly was seated in the presidential car next to Governor Connolly, who was her husband. In her book, From, from Love Field, Our Final Hours, she said she believed that her husband was hit by a bullet separate from the two that hit Kennedy. So there's another bullet that hit, that hit the Connolly. And this is coming from Connolly's wife, who's sitting right next to him. If you pull it up, I'm looking at it right now. You can see that Connolly is actually right. Uh, the Mrs. Connolly's right next to Mr. Connolly. It, it, it's it's amazing. In 1979, the House Select Committee on Assassinations agreed to publish a report from Warren Commission's critic Robert Grodin, in which he named nearly two dozen suspected firing points in Dealey Plaza. These sites included multiple locations in or on the roof of the Texas School Book Depository, the Dowtex Building, the Dallas County Records Building, the Triple Overpass, a storm drain located along the north curb of Elm Street, and the Grassy Knoll. Josiah Thompson concluded that the shots fired at the motorcade came from three locations, the Texas Book Depository and Grassy Knoll, the Grassy Knoll and the Dowtex Building. Oh, my God. We're actually going to stop right here. This is going on an hour we're, we're going to be going on an hour and a half. So let, let me check how much I have left. If this is, we're, we're heading on a pretty, pretty long run right now. We're, 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 uh, let's keep going. Let's just keep going. We're going to keep going. We'll, we'll see how far I can get. Several conspiracy theories, several conspiracy theories believe that at least one shooter was located in the Dow Tech building, located, located across the street from the Texas Book Depository. According to L. Fletcher Prouty, the physical location of James Teague, Take when he was injured by a bullet fragment is not consistent with the trajectory of a missed shot from the Texas School Book Depository, leading Prouty to theorize that the, that Tag was instead wounded by a missed shot from the second floor of the Dell Tex building. So now people are getting injured, and now the theories are going haywire left and right about where the shots are coming from. This boy, I tell you. 
Some assassination researchers claim that FBI photographs of the presidential limousine show a bullet hole in its windshield above the rear view mirror and a crack in the windshield itself. When Robert Grodin, author of The Killing author of the killing of a President, asked for an explanation, the FBI responded that what Grodin thought was a bullet hole occurred prior to Dallas. Hmm. My thing is that if you already have something happening in the windshield, you're not going to give a president a shitty-ass car. That's just not going to happen. In 1993, George Whitaker, a manager at the Ford Motor Company's Rogue Plant in Detroit, told attorney and criminal justice professor Doug Weldon, then after reporting to work on November 25, 1963, he discovered the presidential limousine in the Rogues Plants B building with his windshield removed. Now, this is this is Doug Wilden. I'm sorry, not Doug Wilden. This is George Whitaker, the manager of the Ford Company's Rogue Plant in Detroit, where the cars are made. This is where the president was taken. When the president's car was made and, and kicked out from Detroit, the, 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 the beast, the belly of the beast. Whitaker said that the limousine's removed windshield had a through and through bullet hole from the front. He said that he was directed by one of Ford's vice presidents to use vice presidents to use the windshield as a template to fabricate a new windshield for installation in the limousine. Whitaker also, Whitaker also said he was told to destroy the old one. So Whitaker was told that, that yeah, okay, go ahead and uh, make this new limousine window, but go ahead and use the old one. Oh, by the way, once you're, once you're done with it, throw it away. What the, f really, that, boy, I tell you. Film and photographic evidence of the assassination have led viewers to different conclusions regarding the origin of the shots. When the fatal shot was fired, the president's head and upper torso moved backwards, indicating to many observers a shot from the, from the right front. Sherry Gutierrez, a certified crime scene and bloodstain pattern analysis, concluded that the fatal head injury to President Kennedy was a result of a single a single gunshot fired from the right front of the president. Completely, I mean, that, that alone completely obliterates the being shot from back by, in the back by Lee Harvey Oswald. Paul Chambers believes that the fatal headshot is consistent with a high-velocity rifle rather than a medium-velocity Manlicker Car Carcano. Although it, is, it has been thought that Zapruder film frames 312 and 313 Show Kennedy's head moving forward before moving backwards. That close inspection of the frames show Kennedy's head actually pivoted both forward and downwards. Anthony Marsh claims that it was the declaration or deceleration of the car by the driver, William Greer, that allowed the president's head to move in that direction. Some, including Josiah Thompson, Robert Grodin, and, and Cyril Wick, state that the film shows that his head was hit by two near simultaneous, simultaneous bullets. One from the rear and the other from the right front. Holy shit. So now we're, when, when people are breaking down this, this, this thing frame by frame, they're starting to see inconsistencies and consistencies of different things. And a lot of things that the government is telling us is not true. Look at, the, oh my gosh, I, I, I looked at the Zapruder film a while ago, but I never looked at it in depth at frame 312 and 313. I, I never actually paid attention to it. But they're claiming that the way that the president moved was because of the deceleration. Bullshit. The fool got blasted forward and backwards at the same time. Simultaneous bullets. One from the rear and the other one from the right front. These, oh, my gosh. Physical evidence. Now, we're, we're, we're here at some physical evidence where this is more inconsistencies and conspiracies showing that shit was covered up and shit was altered in order to make the, gov the public believe nothing was afoot. 
Some researchers, some researchers have pointed out to the large number of doctors and nurses at Parkland Memorial Hospital who reported that a major part of the back of the president's head was blown out. In 1979, the HSCA noted the various accounts of the nature of the wounds to the president as described by the staff at Parkland Memorial Hospital differed from those in the Bethesda autopsy report, as well as from what appears in the autopsy photographs and x-rays. How do you have two inconsistencies when it's supposed to be the same person and they did the same thing day in, day out, and everything should have been documented and put in accurately, correct? Correct, but not when the government's involved. The HSCA concluded that most the most probable explanation for the discrepancy between the Parkland doctor's testimony and the Bethesda autopsy witnesses was that the observations of the Parkland doctors were incorrect. However, when researcher and (laughs) ophthalmologist, I actually said this word right when I was reading it over, Gary Aguilar examined the interviews of the Bethesda witnesses, which were declassified in the 1990s. He found that these witnesses also agreed that there was a large avulsive hole in the rear of Kennedy's skull suggesting an exit wound and that Kennedy was hit from the front. Okay, so that, that's, that's we're, we're agree with that. Some critics skeptical, skeptical of the official single bullet theory have stated that the bullet trajectory, which hit Kennedy above the right shoulder blade and passed through his neck, according to the autopsy, would have had to change course to pass through Connolly's rib cage and fracture his wrist. See, that's what I'm talking about. There's no way, unless it's, it's a certain type of bullet, bullet where it just kind of bounces around. I don't remember the name of the bullet. It's a small caliber. It's not a huge caliber, but that is a possible ordeal. However, what I mean, the, with with the with the velocity and the and the range and everything, it would not have been able to be a small caliber uh, bullet. I mean, again, that's just my amateur opinion. Kennedy's death certificate, which was signed by his personal physician George Berkeley, locates the bullet above the about the level of the third thoracic vertebra, which claim which some claim was not high enough to exit his throat. Oh, my gosh. Furthermore, since the shooter was in a sixth-floor window of the book depository building, the bullet traveled downward. The autopsy descriptive sheet displays a diagram of the president's body with the same low low placement at the third thoracic vertebra. The holes in the back of his shirt and jacket are also claimed to support a wound too low to be consistent with the single bullet theory. See, this is where, where it blows my mind. We have all this kinds of evidence and all this trajectory evidence and, and measurements, but people, but the government was still going with a single bullet theory, and it just wasn't holding up to what it needed to hold up to. I mean, it, there multiple shooters is 100% guaranteed. Jesus, Christmas trees. There is a conflicting testimony regarding the autopsy performed on Kennedy's body, particularly during the examination on his brain and whether or not the photos submitted as evidence are the same as those taken during the examination. So now there's conflicting testimony regarding the autopsy performed on Kennedy's body. Now it might not actually be his own body. I mean, okay, I understand that people are are gruesome and no holds barred, but Jesus, Christmas trees in June. Are you serious? Douglas Horn, the Assassination Records Review Board's chief analysis for military records, said he was 90 to 95% certain that the photographs in the National Archives are not really of Kennedy's brain. What the fuck? Are you serious? 90 to 95% certain that the, that it is not really of Kennedy's brain. Then whose brain is it? Did they find someone, did they find just an intact brain and, and mess it around to where it, it was going to match their, their findings or their, 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 their statements? Supporting Horn was Aguilar, who stated, according to 
to Horns finding the second brain, which showed an exit wound in the front, allegedly replaced Kennedy's real brain, which revealed much greater damage to the rear, consistent with an exit wound and thus evidence of a shot from the front. So they they went ahead and changed Kennedy's all his whole goddamn brain to show that the exit wound was in the rear and and not in that or it was in the front and not in the rear. And was showing greater damage. So they minimized and just got a whole new goddamn brain, a whole ass new brain, just just to just to cover up their conspiracy and the assassination of this president, just so they can use Oswald as a patsy. Oh my gosh! Paul O'Connor, a laboratory technologist who assisted in the president's autopsy, claimed that the autopsy at Bethesda Navy Hospital was conducted in obedience to a high command, and that nearly all the brain matter in Kennedy's skull was already missing before the autopsy of Bethesda Hospital. So for those of you who are actually going to watch the video of, uh, of the assassination of President Kennedy, his, his brains are actually blown out in the back of his head onto the back of the car. That's where I don't, I don't understand the, the, the shot from behind theory. I mean, it's right there on video. A bone fragment found in Dilly Plaza by William Harper the day following the assassination was reported by the HSCA's forensic pathology panel to have been from Kennedy's skull, a part of his peridial bone. Some critics of the lone gunman theory, including James Douglas, David Lifton, and David Mantic, contend that the bone fragment that Harper found was not parietal bone, but is actually a piece of Kennedy's occipital, occipital, occipital bone ejected from an exit wound in the back of his head. They allege this findings they allege this finding is evidence of a cover-up as it proves that the skull radiographs taken during the autopsy, which do not show significant bone loss in the occipital area, are not authentic. So even even these guys who who I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that David Lofton and David Mantek and James Douglas are are hollering that no, it wasn't from the back of his head, it was from his face. So that that's where it's at. And when they looked at the skull, the the occipital bone is still intact or it doesn't show as much damage as if it was a whole ass bone that they found. So, I mean, why, why argue something if you don't know what's going on, you know, get all your, no, I'm not going to say get all your shit in a row because we, we don't want any more corruption. I mean, you know, I read once that corruption is needed to keep order and peace. I don't know if that's true or not, but so let's get into Leah Harvey Oswald uh, uh, for now. I mean, it's going to be a short, I'm, I'm trying to wrap this episode up. It's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be a pretty long episode today. So well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up as quickly as we can, even though it's still a long episode. It, it's okay. Let's, let's stop talking. So Lee Harvey Oswald, contained in the commission reports report is testimony by Marine Corps Major Eugene Marine 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 Corps Major Eugene Anderson, confirming that Oswald's military records show that he qualified as a sharpshooter in 1956. One of the theories that Oswald, that, that the reason why, why President Kennedy was able to be assassinated was that this was not done by a normal gunman. This had to be done by some sort of sharpshooter or sniper in order to get off the, as many shots as they did at the distance that they were. Now, the argument back and forth was that Lee Harvey Oswald was a Marine. He was legitimately a Marine. However, that he was not a professional marksman. But in, in to contest that, all Marines are required to go through weapons training and be proficient with a firearm. That is the Marine standard. If you want to go above and beyond and try your you know, qualifying for other things, then you're more than welcome to. But that doesn't mean anything as far as real world uh, use. You know what I mean? But according to Marine Corps, 
According to official Marine Corps records, Oswald was tested in shooting in December 1956, scoring 212, slightly above the minimum for qualification as a sharpshooter, the intermediate, the intermediate category. So at 212, he, he scored the 212, which just put him just above the qualification of a sharpshooter. What does that mean? That means that this gentleman was able to control his breathing, his, his accuracy, and his, gun, his uh, rifle control in order to score 212 at various distances, making him, uh, get qualifying him as a sharpshooter, meaning that he has the, the, the skill to get off shots at, 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 at great distances. But in May 1959, he scored 191, earning the lower designation of marksman. The highest marksmanship category in the Marine Corps is expert. But it doesn't matter. Once you're qualified as a, as a marksman, you understand and know how to do it. I mean, they're just going to train you more and more how to hone in your skills. Despite Oswald's confirmed marksmanship in the USMC, conspiracy theorists like Walt Brown and authors such as Richard H. Popkin contend that Oswald was a notoriously poor shot, that his rifle that his rifle was inaccurate and no reconstruction of the event has ever been able to duplicate his ability to fire three shots within the time frame given by the Warren Commission. See, I disagree with that 100%. It doesn't matter if you're a poor shot or not. A lot of people who don't try, don't try. I mean, the rifle was inaccurate. That I mean, depending on what style it was and in the 60s, yeah, that's very possible. But when you qualify as a sharpshooter, it doesn't matter if you're a poor shot ever since after that, if you've qualified as a sharpshooter, you're obviously a sharpshooter. I mean, you can't get that. That's not getting taken away. And if that is in Marine Corps records. I doubt the Marine is just going to give people uh, uh, sharpshooting uh, accolades. You know what I mean? The Warren Commission concluded that there is no evidence that Oswald was involved in any conspiracy directed to the assassination of the president. The commission came to this conclusion after examining Oswald's Marxist and pro-communist background including his defection to Russia, the New Orleans branch of the Fair Play for Cuba com committee he had organized, and the various public and private statements made by him espousing Marxism. But the Warren Commission conclu concluded that there's no evidence that Oswald was involved in a conspiracy, although he was connected to defecting to Russia, and then he created a New Orleans branch for Fair Play for the Cuba committee, meaning that he was for communism. Come on, man. Let's, you know, if you're going to get a patsy, then you do something to where it's more believable. Some conspiracy theorists have argued that Oswald's pro-communist behavior was in fact a carefully planned ruse and part of an effort by U.S. intelligence agencies to infiltrate left-wing groups and conduct counterintelligence operations in communist countries. Others speculate that Oswald was either an agent or an informant of the U.S. government and that Oswald may have been trying to explode the plot behind the assassination that is a huge that's a huge conspiracy theory right there is that they were actually gathered that oswald was groomed and uh, and and was employed or contracted by the u.s government specifically intelligence agencies to infiltrate left-wing groups and to conduct counterintelligence in the communist countries Meaning that since Oswald was able to 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 uh, travel freely to and there to and from, why not employ him? Try to get on the inside scoop. That is what that, that oh my gosh, that's a huge thing. And a lot of people say he was. A lot of people say he wasn't. No one's gonna know because they shot him in the in, in in custody. Jesus Christmas trees. 
Oswald himself claimed to be innocent, denying all charges and even declaring to reporters that he was, quote, just a patsy, end quote. He also insisted that the photos of him holding a rifle had been faked, an assertion contradicted by statements made by his wife, Marina, and the analysis of photographic experts such as Lyndall L. Shaney Felt of the FBI. Now, according to reports, I didn't add this in, I just remember because I have it here written down on a little piece of paper, was that when Oswald denied that he was holding the rifle, that Marina claimed that she had taken the photos herself because she herself, her, 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 she was a Russian, she was a Russian lady. And then America was saying that, yo, if you don't follow along with this plan, you will be deported back to Russia. You will be sent back and or killed. Now, I don't know how accurate those reports were, but that's just stuff that was thrown in along with the conspiracy research that I did. So if for a lot of you who don't, who aren't familiar, Russia and America weren't really all that big of friends back in the 60s because they backed a bunch of shit that America didn't. So one of the worst things is for you defect, to defect into Russia and then be, you know, an American and then head back and then try to say that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of you guys now. Uh, Russians usually thought or the Soviets initially or would automatically figure, oh, you're a spy, so we're going to handle you the old school way. So according to multiple reports, the, the Marina was, was threatened with her life and or deportation if she would, didn't follow along with, uh, with, uh, with, with the plan of Oswald. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not, again, I don't really, I, I, boy, I'll tell you. <laughs> Oswald's role as FBI informant was investigated by Lee Rankin and others of the Warren Commissions, but their findings were inconclusive. Of course it's going to be inconclusive. You have the government looking up for government shit. Of course it's not going to happen. Several FBI employees had made statements indicating that Oswald was indeed a paid informant, but the commission was nonetheless was nonetheless unable to verify the, ver- the veracity of those claims. You have FBI agents who saw this guy inside of the FBI building, I'm pretty sure, several times and confirmed that he was indeed a paid informant. But the Warren Commission, who was conducted by one of the individuals who one of the main individuals who might have had JFK killed, says that he didn't that he wasn't a paid informant. Oh, my gosh. But who are we going to believe, right? Who are we going to believe? FBI agent James Hostie reported that his office interactions with Oswald were limited to dealing with his complaints about being harassed by the Bureau for being a communist sympathizer. In the weeks before the assassination, Oswald made a personal visit to the FBI's Dallas branch. Oh, my gosh. Now hold on. I just stumbled over shit. In the weeks before the assassination, Oswald made a personal visit to the FBI's Dallas branch. Alice with a hand-delivered letter, which purportedly contained a threat of some sort, but controversially, Hostie destroyed the letter by order of J. Gordon Shacklin, his supervisor. Oswald went to the Dallas to the to the FBI's branch in Dallas with a hand-delivered letter, which purportedly contained a threat of some sort. Controversially, controversially. Hostie destroyed the letter by order of another FBI agent, which happened to be his supervisor. But we're going to believe the Warren report, right? The Warren report is the one that 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 is stated that there was nothing to worry about with Oswald, but Oswald is the one. See, here's my theory. I don't think Oswald is the one who actually murdered him. Did Oswald take a, a few shots and maybe wound JFK? Most definitely. I mean, but I believe 100% that Oswald was the fall guy. I don't think he was the one behind the the conspiracy or the, the sole assassination of the president. There's no way. 
Some researchers suggest that Oswald served as an active agent of the Central Intelligence Agency, often pointing to how he attempted to defect to Russia, but was, however, able to return without difficulty, even, even receiving a repatriation loan from the State Department as evidence of such. So it, it, if you're able to move to and from two different countries, then the one thing that, that you're doing is you're not able to freely come in and willingly come to and from Russia without having some connection with both governments. It's just not possible. And so because of that, they even gave him a, rep a repatriation. I don't know what that is. I think that's just, just hey, welcome back to America. We're going to hook you up with some, with some uh, uh, money to cover your expenses. But you're telling me that, that Oswald was the only guy? There's no way. This is all pointed to bullshit. A former roommate of Oswald, James Bothello, who would later become a California judge, stated in an interview with Mark Lane that he believed Oswald was involved in an intelligent... Oh, my gosh. Was involved in an intelligence assignment in Russia. Although Bothello did not mention this, suspension, this suspicion in his testimony to the Warren Commission years earlier. Of course he didn't mention that. He Why, why was he going to mention that? He was going to get murdered. There's no way that you're going to know the deep down involved shit and then get away with it. But his own roommate believed that Oswald was involved in an intelligence assignment in Russia. Boy, I tell you. Oswald's mother, Marguerite, often insisted that her son was recruited by an agency of the U.S. government and sent to Russia. New Orleans District Attorney and later Judge Jim Garrison, who in 1967 brought Clay Shaw to trial for the assassination of President Kennedy, also held the opinion that Oswald was most likely a CIA agent drawn into the plot to be used as a scapegoat, even going as far to say that Oswald, quote, genuinely was probably a hero. All right, we're going to stop there. We're, 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 uh, we're, uh, we're, we're, my, my throat is dry. Yeah, we're, we're going to, we're going to stop there. So, now we're going to have a part three coming up soon. I don't know exactly when. Uh, this week I have, uh, well, I'm releasing, we're, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, there's there's not going to be any announcements. Uh, if you're interested in joining the Patreon, go ahead and join the Patreon. It's on my, just Google my name, Tino Romero, or uh, Patreon my name, Tino Romero, and join the, join the two spooky stories a month. They're pretty good. All righty. I appreciate everyone. Thank you very much. And as always, good morning, good day. Good night. Goodbye. I'm 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 stopping this <laughs> I'm stopping this recording at an hour and 36 minutes. I still have probably about 45 minutes worth of information that I'm just my my mouth is dry and I'm stumbling over my words. So I need to stop now before it becomes incoherent. So until next time, I appreciate everyone. Thank you very much for listening. Good morning, good day, good night. Goodbye. This is the end. This is the end. This is the end. Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. Grumbler.